Heavenly Father, thank you for bringing me back home along with my wife. And what a joy it is to be with the saints of Ecclesia. Thank you for this body which you bought by the blood of Christ, which you, for which you shed your blood on the cross. And thank you for the word you have given us so that we can be encouraged and nurtured and even sanctified by the ministry of your word. Heavenly Father, we surrender ourselves to you at this moment to hear your word and also to be transformed by your word. We are not here coming every Sunday religiously to hear your word. We are here as your community to experience the life-transforming power of your word. Oh Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your community. We thank you for your presence. And also we thank you for the presence of your saints. We ask you to encourage us and use us for your glory. In the name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, we offer this prayer with thanksgiving. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> As I am preaching to you through the book of Hebrews, chapter 10, and uh, today we will be looking at particularly verse 24 and 25. And I have explained to you in my previous message that uh, the author of Hebrews was explaining the doctrine from Hebrews chapter 10 through chapter 10, verse 18, persuading his listeners and convincing them that the sacrifice of Christ once and for all on the cross is sufficient for our salvation. And we don't need anything beyond that. And at the same time, we see that he was so concerned about encouraging the believers to persevere in their faith because they were tempted to go back to Judaism. And the author is very particular about giving them great exhortations. And after mentioning to them about the great sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross, now he brings to them three exhortations. And I have mentioned these three exhortations in my previous sermon, but I have covered only two in detail, and today I will go further and finish the final exhortation. But for our reminder, let us all read once again Hebrews chapter 10 from verse 21 to 22, where we see the first exhortation from the doctrine that he presented in chapters 5 through 10. And this is what the author writes and encourages his believers. And today, through the word of God, he is also speaking to us. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 21 to 22. And this is what he says. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. We see that the first exhortation that he gives over here is that let us draw near to God with a true heart and full assurance of faith. That's the first exhortation. And I have explained in detail in my previous sermon how we need to draw closer to the heart of God, seek God in our lives in order to persevere in our faiths and also to live a steadfast Christian life. And then in the second exhortation, he says in verse 23, 
He says here that, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. He encourages believers here to persevere in their faith in spite of uh, fears, trials, and temptations. And he explains uh, in the book that Christian life is hard, but at the same time, we need to persevere and hold fast to the confession of faith. I have also explained about this in detail. And the title that I had given for this, two topics were drawn near to God, cling to God, hold on to him, for apart from him, we can do nothing and grow nowhere in the Christian life. And today, after drawing near to God, I would like to bring applications from Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 to 25. And the title that I have given to this message is Drawing Near to One Another. Drawing Near to One Another. It is not only sufficient that we draw near to the heart of God through the work of Christ on the cross. The Bible also encourages us that we have to draw near to one another. It seems to be a reflection of the great commandment, right? And all of us know what is a great commandment and what is the first commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And immediately after that, the Lord Jesus says, we have to love our neighbor as ourselves. And I see that in this passage, these two, two things are highlighted, drawing near to God and drawing near to one another. Shall we all lift up our voices and read together Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 to 25. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. If you see that in the entire book of Hebrews, we see that phrase one another mentioned in Hebrews chapter 3 verse 13 and also in chapter 10 verse 24 to 25 where it says here that we have to stir up one another and love one another. This one another phrase is clearly found in the New Testament about more than 40 times. Can you imagine the phrase one another mentioned more than 40 times in the New Testament, but it appears in these two passages in the book of Hebrews. Why he says about one another, why he mentions about stirring up one another and encouraging one another. This is what we need to understand, dear people of God. The Christian life is a one another life. It is not a life of isolation. It is not a solitary life. The Bible makes it clear that once we become children of God through the work of Christ on the cross, we also become a community of the living God and we live a life of one another. It is a life lived in the context of God's community. There is no Christian living apart from the community of God. And if anyone thinks that we can live that way, they are deceived. Christian life is a community life. It is not 
an individualistic life. I am reminded of what that great founder of Methodism, Methodist Church, John Wesley said. He said that there is nothing more unchristian than a solitary Christian. There is nothing more unchristian than a solitary Christian. There is no such thing as a solitary Christian in Christianity. Christian life is a life of community. And then we see here the author speaks about how to live together as a community of God. In these two passages, I have seen three factors that I would like to present to you. The first factor is engage. The second, encourage. And third, even more. Engage, encourage, and even more. And we see that in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 to 25, the first factor mentioning here about how we need to engage in the community of God. I'm not saying just physically attending the meetings, but engaging in the life of God's community. And that is what we see here, the author mentions here. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some. Observe the phrase here, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some. And here is a negative exhortation he gives. Do not neglect to meet together. And if you see the positive exhortation, it means regularly meet together. Do not be like those some people who neglect to meet together. You know what is interesting is that the word negligence in Greek literally means leave behind. Don't put the fellowship of the church as the least priority in your life. Don't leave it behind. And if you see the opposite word of negligence is devotion. And when we hear the word devotion, immediately our minds should go back to Acts chapter 2 verse 42. And what do we see about those new believers who profess their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ? We see that in Acts 2.42, they were devoted to Christian fellowship. They were devoted to church meetings. And when the author of Hebrews is using the word, do not neglect meeting together. You know, the Greek word here, generally we know that the Greek word for the church is ecclesia. Which is why we call ourselves Ecclesia Evangelical Fellowship. But the Greek word that is used here is episynagogue. Episynagogue. Our mind should be thinking about the word synagogue, isn't it? It was a Jewish religious place that they were gathering. So when the author is saying here that do not neglect assembling together, he is speaking about do not neglect the physical gathering of the saints at a physical place. That is what it literally means, the physical gathering of believers at a particular location. And that is the reason we call something as local church. Why do we call the word local church? Because a group of believers 
who belong to a particular locality regularly come together in the name of Christ to practice biblical regulations. And that is what is the church of God. I'm reminded of what uh, uh, Greg Allison cites in his uh, massive, voluminous book, Sojourners and Strangers. He cites about what the church is here. And the reason I say this is because we are living in a high-tech, modern generation where we see there is a lack of importance given to the physical gathering of the church. Praise God for the technology, but nothing can substitute the physical gathering of the church that the author is exhorting to us here. And Greg Ellison cites here that the visible coming together of visible people in a special place to do something particular stands at the center of the church. When visible people come together at a visible place to do some particular activities that the word of God commands stands at the center of the church. Without the actual visible procedure of meeting together, there is no church. Why I say this? Because there is no such thing as digital and virtual church, which is being propagated in our times today. Without the actual, physical, visible appearance and gathering of God's people, there is no such a thing called church. That is why everything in the church is concentrated on this procedure. You know, one sad thing that I heard in my trip to U.S. uh, uh, recently is uh, we stayed in a family and they were talking about some people in the church. After the pandemic, they never returned to the church. After the pandemic, never returned to the church. They were only gathering virtually, attending online church, which is not the church at all. And they said that we never saw them again. And uh, there may be more people uh, attending online, but there is no physical gathering of these people in the particular location. And I think these people have no idea about what the word of God is teaching us here. You know, I would like to uh, quote from my book, Covenanting with Christ Church, when I was speaking about the importance of regularly meeting together at a physical place as a physical gathering. Now here carefully, a small quote from my book. A family cannot function by restricting its interaction solely through an online medium. Similarly, the life of the church is stunted when the church restricts itself to online meetings. Physical presence and face-to-face interactions are critical to build meaningful relationships. Technology should only be used as a complementary tool. It should never bulldoze and substitute the physical life of the church. The very reason that God created us as physical beings declares the fact that interpersonal relationships are firmly built in the physical presence of one another. The physical beings... God created us, declares that interpersonal relationships are firmly built in the physical presence of one another. 
And if there is no physical presence of one another, we are not following what Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 to 25 declares here. So I want to encourage you, brothers and sisters, let us not think that just joining online is what the church is. That's one reason we removed online completely on Sundays. Because people should understand that joining online is not a church. It is not a church gathering. It is only the physical meeting that the Bible speaks about. And that is one reason why we should come together as a church. Why we should come together as a church. Not because, you know, we have to just mark the calendar or check the checklist and say that I have went to the church this Sunday. No, that's not the reason. We go because we love the physical presence of the saints of God. You know, one of the books that Dietrich Bonhoeffer has written, and he was a great martyr who, who died as a German theologian, and he wrote a book on a community life. And in that book, he makes a very powerful statement. He says here that the physical presence of other Christians is a source of incomparable joy and strength to the believer. The physical presence of other Christians is a source of incomparable joy and strength to the believer. When you come together as a church, do you take joy when you look at each other? Do you take delight in the presence of one another? You know, one thing that is greatly highlighted in our time today when we come together as a church is only about the presence of God. Do you experience the presence of God? But brothers and sisters, what we need to also understand is that presence of God is truly important. But what also we need to understand is the presence of the believers, which is also important as we come together as a church. And God's presence is mightily manifested in the physical presence of his community. And the author of Hebrews declares here, do not neglect this physical gathering of the church. And he highlights some people here. And he shows some people here who are a bad example. And who are those people here? We don't know their names. But the author says here, as is the habit of some. In the first century, there were some people who were neglecting church fellowship. And uh, he says that this was their habit. This was their habit. He's not speaking about the occasional missing of the church fellowship due to some reason. These people have cultivated habit of not being a part of Christian fellowship and church gathering. Do not be like them. And if you are like them, I encourage you, brothers and sisters, it is not good for you. If you claim that I believe in Christ, and if I am a part of a church, and if you neglect and cultivate the habit of not participating in the meetings of the church, you are a very bad example. And you are causing a great harm to your own soul. And the point here, what we see here in this passage, is not leaving the community here. It's not speaking about these are the people who left the community. 
They might have claimed to be a part of the community, but the problem was they were failing to attend the gatherings of the church. That was the problem. And the author says here that do not neglect meeting together. And why is it that he cautions here about not neglecting to meet together? Why? As I told you that the entire book is a great warning against apostasy. And what is apostasy? It is falling away from faith. Genuine believers will persevere in their faith till the end. But false Christians and people who claim to be believers, but they have no genuine born-again experience, they will not persevere in their faith and they will apostatize. They will fall away from their faith. And some people may not fall away from their faith externally, which means outwardly saying, I no longer belong to the body of Christ. But they may physically present, but they may become cold in their faith also, which is another form of apostasy. And the author of Hebrews is cautioning here that one of the ways for you to persevere in your faith, one of the ways for you to experience the continuous sanctification of the Lord, one of the ways for you to be faithful till the end, not falling into the trap of apostasy, is not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some. And I want to tell you, my dear brothers and sisters, if you are not passionate for the gathering of the church, if you are not active in the fellowship of the church, I want to warn you that you may fall into apostasy. And that is the reason the author is cautioning here, do not neglect meeting together. Ignatius was one of the early church fathers who was martyred for his faith in Christ. And this is what he said. When you frequently and in numbers meet together, the powers of Satan are overthrown and his mischief is neutralized by, his like -minded, by your like-mindedness like in the faith. What he says over here is that whenever you come together, you are overthrowing the schemes of the enemy. You are not letting him prevail over you because there is power in Christian fellowship. And by your like-mindedness, you are strengthening one another in your Christian faith. You know, one thing that I would like to tell you that it's not only the adults who are coming together as a church and uh, growing in the faith and the Christian life. One of the major reasons why we should be committed to church fellowship and not neglect meeting together because your commitment to the church impacts the upbringing of your children. Your commitment to the church impacts the upbringing of your own children. A lot of children testify that one of the ways that we have learned to see the significance of the body of Christ, to love and serve the church, is by observing the faith and discipline of our parents. 
there are also some children who are not committed to the church and who have grown up having a casual and a lenient attitude to the fellowship of the body of Christ is because that is what they have seen in their parents. The way you live your Christian life in the church impacts your children also. I was reading about uh, Charles Spurgeon speaking about a man of God and hear this carefully what he says. This is, this is cited by Charles Spurgeon and he speaks about a man called Joseph Gabor. Hear this what he says. Joseph Gabor grew up in Czechoslovakia when it was dominated by communism and religion was despised as weakness. His father taught communist doctrine classes. But Joseph's mother, who believed in Jesus Christ, took Joseph and his brother with her to church. They got up early each Sunday and took a three-hour train ride to Prague. Then they walked to the church and sat through a two-and-a-half-hour service. After eating lunch in a nearby park, they returned to church for another two-and-a-half-hour meeting. Then they took the three-hour ride home. We see that these people, mother and the two sons, six hours journey and five hours church service. You know what happened as a result? Today, Joseph Gabor is a missionary to his own people in Czechoslovakia. What he tells about going to church as a child his eyes filled with tears of gratitude for a mother who cared enough about his spiritual welfare to help him come to know and serve Christ. Whenever he speaks about how he became a missionary, what a great impact he had upon his own life, he calls upon his mother filled with tears in his eyes how she was a great impact on his own life as she took them every Sunday traveling for six hours attending two services so that they can be spiritually benefited he didn't say about his father but he speaks about his mother dear brothers and sisters I would like to ask you how many of your children do you think when they grow up would testify like this I can testify about my father and my mother who was devoted to the church who loved and served the church who was committed to the meetings of the church, who was not neglecting the gatherings of the church, as is the habit of some. Who you are as a Christian impacts the upbringing of your own children. I'm reminded of uh, what also Francis Ridley Havagel, who lived in the 19th century, and she was a great hymn writer. And one of the great hymns that she has written, can anyone remember? Francis Havergal, one of the beautiful great hymns that she wrote, and we all sing that, take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee. You know, in a time, there were people who were neglecting to attend church services because of rainy season. And she wrote eight reasons why she committed herself to attend the church in spite of living in a very uncomfortable season rainy season which sounds very simple but you see her commitment to the body of the Lord Jesus Christ I'm only citing six reasons from her eight reasons hear this carefully the first God has blessed the Lord's day making no exceptions 
for stormy days. Which means the Lord's day is still the Lord's day, even on the stormy day, and I'm not going to neglect church fellowship. Second, I might lose out, third actually this is, I might lose out on the prayers and the sermon that would have done me great good. If I don't go to church, I'm missing a sermon, I'm missing the congregational singing which does me so good. How many of us when we miss Sunday fellowship deeply regret that I am badly missing the church today and I'm missing the fellowship of the saints, I'm missing the sermon, I'm missing the congregational singing. How many of you miss and grieve in your hearts that shows about the health of your Christian life? The fourth reason she says, for important business, rain doesn't keep me home. And church is, in God's sight, very important. What do I do? Important business. When there are important business, I still do. And accomplish those things. And she says that church is more important in God's sight. How do I neglect it? Fifth reason, bad weather will prove how much I love Christ. True love rarely fails to keep an appointment. Which means bad brother is a test of my love for Christ, which is shown in my commitment to the body of Christ. As someone says that, crisis is the test of commitment. The sixth reason she gives is, those who stay home from church because it's raining, frequently miss on fair Sundays too. I must not take one step in that direction. Which means if people in hard times don't keep their commitment, in easy times they fail. And they go in that direction and she says, I would not dare to do that. And the eighth reason she gives is that I don't know how many more Sundays God may give me. It would be poor preparation for my first Sunday in heaven to have slighted my last one on earth. Wow. She says that if this is the last Sunday that I have to live and the first Sunday that I have to face in eternity, I don't want to miss this last Sunday on earth. How many beautiful saints are like like the saints of God who love God and who love his church so much that they don't neglect meeting together? But this question that comes to us brings us to the second factor, engage And the second factor is encourage. Why should we meet together? How different are our gatherings from the gatherings of our world and social clubs? What is the essence of gathering? Now, this is very important. The Bible doesn't just say to come together regularly, physically, meet together, not neglect. It also gives us a reason why we should do that. Shall we all read this together? Hebrews chapter 24, verse 25. Twice it is mentioned in different ways about the purpose of Christian gathering. It says here, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Now the author, the word of God begins with this exhortation. Now hear carefully, brothers. This is God's exhortation. 
And if we believe that we are the people of God, we live under the authority of the word of God. And the Bible tells here, let us consider. Now the word consider is very interesting for us to consider. Because it speaks about give thought. Give thought to this. Now, in Greek, it speaks about the present continuous tense, which means that we need to continuously consider. Now, what is the meaning of consider here? It means that you need to be intentional. You need to be intentional about what the Word of God prescribes here. It is not something automatic. It is not something natural. It takes a very intentional thoughts about how to grab the opportunities for me to practice this. And it is not even intentional. The word consider also carries the thought that it takes efforts. It takes efforts to practice what the word of God is prescribing here. The people who don't practice this are those who don't consider. The people who don't practice this are the people who are not intentional about it. The people who don't practice this are people who don't take efforts. They are passive and they go by default. Now here is something that I want to speak to us here because there are people who may say that, oh, I'm not naturally inclined to do these things. What the word of God speaks over here. I'm not good in interpersonal relationships. I'm not good in encouragement. I'm, I'm not so inclined to do this. Now here is what I want to caution you here. The word of God doesn't give you prescriptions based on your personalities. Are you understanding? Your personalities are not the source of your obedience to God's word. You are born again by the word of God, by the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. There are two kinds of Christians here that I want to tell you. Some are driven by default. Now, what do I mean by default? It means they are driven by their natural inclinations, right? Which is, I may not be good in interpersonal relationships. That's how I am naturally inclined. I'm not good in encouraging people. That's how I am naturally inclined. And let me tell you, the easiest way to block your spiritual life and growth and maturity is to be driven by default. And there are other kinds of people, and very few they are. Some are driven by default, and others are driven by discipline. Now, what do I mean discipline? It requires efforts to obey the word of God. You know, when I was uh, in states and talking to some people, and they were telling, oh, brother, I can't read, you know, I'm not having the habit of uh, reading. Then I told them that you are a man who is led by default. And by default, you cannot be a man of discipline. By default, you cannot read. But in order for you to cultivate reading, you need to practice discipline. And in the same way, it applies to us over here. If there are some people over here who can say that, I'm not good in building relationships, I'm not, building, I'm not good in encouraging people, then you need discipline. 
You cannot go by default. As the word of God says over here, let us consider, which means that he speaks to every believer in the body of Christ. It is not speaking to pastors. It is not speaking to some spiritually mature in the church. It speaks to every person in the body of Christ saying that, let us consider. Consider what? Consider what? It says, how to stir up one another. How to stir up one another. In other translations, it says, how to stimulate one another. How to sharpen one another. How to hone each other. One reason why God has brought us together as a community is so that we can encourage each other and stir up one another. And this verse reminds me of what the author of Proverbs says in Proverbs chapter 27, verse 17. Proverbs chapter 27, verse 17. It says over here that iron sharpens iron and one man sharpens another. As iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. And this is what is Christian fellowship. Now here is an interesting word that I want you to consider. The translation of the KJV of these words 25 is, and let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. And some of the translations like KJV and other translations use the word provoke, which is stir up, stimulate, now, we see that in a negative sense in Ephesians chapter 6 verse 4. And what does Ephesians 6 verse 4 says in the negative sense? Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. You know how anger comes? All of us know that, right? There may be some saints over here who may never have heard the word anger. You are hearing for the first time and you have never experienced. But you know what anger is? What is anger? It, it is always provoked, right? How many? This is a very common thing in the family. We say that I was nice, but she provoked me or he provoked me, right? And, and, and the Bible says here that it takes provocation for someone to become angry. People don't become angry just like that. They are provoked to become angry, and in the same way, the Bible tells over here, no, no, before that, I want to just say something actually, because I, I speak to some people and say that, uh, especially some, uh, some husbands or some mothers, I often, uh, uh, you know, uh, heard them saying that, I don't have the habit of uh, encouraging or expressing my love to them, okay? Uh, I've seen the husband saying that, I don't, I don't, I don't have, you know, I, I don't, I'm not a person who expresses my appreciation, for my wife or husband or children. But I tell them that you're very good in expressing your anger. How do you do that? When you're so good in expressing your anger, why can't you express your love and appreciation towards the person? But the point over here is that when the Bible says provoke, it means you, it takes some efforts on your part to provoke someone to do something. And that's exactly what the Bible tells over here. When we come together as a church, it says over here that we must consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. 
What is it that we have to stir up? The focus is something that is very important. Now, when the Bible says about encouragement, the same word is also used over here in verse 25 in a different way. After speaking about stirring up one another to love and good works, it says in verse 25, but encouraging one another, which means the same thing. You encourage one another by stirring up one another to love and good works. And encouragement means to provoke someone for action. To provoke someone for action. And what is the action that the Bible is speaking about here? The action is to love and good works. The Bible gives us the reason, the, the object of our encouragement to love and perform more good works, which means that when we come together as a church, we must be encouraging one another so that we can become more loving Christians. More Christians to do more of good works. That sounds very foreign to a Christian fellowship, right? But that is not what we think is happening in our Christian fellowship. But this is what the word of God says. I love what Stephen Cole says. Besides, uh, you know what we need to understand here is that they were leaders in the church here. How can you say that they were leaders in the church at Hebrews? That's, uh, that Hebrews is written to? How do you know that? Hebrews 13, 17 says, right? It says that obey and submit to your leaders. So they were leaders. And, and they were encouraging. They were praying. But what we need to understand here is that the author is not saying that this is only done by some leaders in the church. In fact, I love what Stephen Cole says over here. He says that it is impossible for the pastoral staff and elders of the church to shepherd everyone who comes. It is impossible for pastors alone to shepherd the flock. He says that for the body to be healthy, for the church to be healthy, every member needs to take responsibility to encourage their fellow members. Every member should feel that responsibility. In other words, pastors officially shepherd the flock. But at the same time, members shepherd one another by encouraging one another in the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, how do you practically do that? I'll just throw some, you know, insights to you so that you can think about how do you practically do that? How do we provoke one another to love and good works, which is a very strange thing that we see today. Not many people are doing. There are people who neglect Christian meetings. There are people who have meetings. But they look more like social clubs and secular gatherings. There is no provocation of one another to love and good works. How does this take place? Some of the things that I was thinking about, how we can practically do that is, when we meet together, we pray together. We pray together. Shall we pray together for something? Shall we pray together for someone? We heard about some people who are in the sick. Shall we pray together? Shankar and I were driving in the car recently and we heard about someone who is sick. Then immediately we prayed together. What, what did we do when we prayed together? We were provoking one another to love and good works. I heard about some sisters in the church. Every day they get up at 5 o'clock, give a call to one another and pray together for the church. Now that is what is provoking one another to love and good works. 
We can help one another. We can think about together how we can help someone who is in need. I know some brothers in the church, how they think about how to help someone who is in need so that they can be a blessing. That is one way of provoking one another to love and good works. How do we evangelize together? Why can't we just go together? You know, I see that the church is very weak in evangelism. Maybe some of us can really come together and think about how we can go occasionally and preach the gospel to people. That is one way of provoking one another to love and good works. And also think about how we can read a book together. There are some brothers and sisters who read together. We officially didn't tell them to do so. But because they see that there is a need of encouragement for one another, they come together and they read together. But there are some people whom you give the assignment to read, but they don't show any commitment to that. Brothers and sisters, we need to think about how to grab every opportunity so that we can provoke each other to love and good works. Another thing that we can think about is how we can comfort together. Maybe a sister is there who is in deep distress. Maybe we can go and minister together and encourage that person. That is how we can provoke one another to love and good works. Maybe we can think about some person living in sin. Living a bad exemplary life in the family or in the church or in the workplace. Correcting that person with gentleness and restoring that person to walk in the ways of the Lord is another way of provoking to one another to love and good works. Another thing that we can also think about is being accountable together in weaknesses. This is one thing many Christians don't do. Now hear this carefully, brothers and sisters. One of the reasons God will leave you in your weakness, despite you crying out to him for help, is so that you would connect to another member in the body of Christ and find help. I know uh, two brothers who made a commitment because one brother was having a habit of shouting at his wife and they both came together and both had the habit of shouting at their wives and they were accountable to one another. Weekly we will meet together and ask each other, did you shout at your wife in your family? Accountable to one another, whether it is a pawn. Accountable together so that we can provoke each other to love and holiness. Or it may be any other weaknesses, do we? Do we connect with someone and be accountable in our weaknesses? That is what is church, people. Church is not simply coming here, sitting on the chairs, warming the chairs, singing songs, practicing all these religious activities, which is good. But there is no provocation of one another to love and good works. So much of our church today are mere religious gatherings, but there is no encouragement of one another to love and good works. We can think about how to reconcile relationships. If you see someone having interpersonal problems, become peacemakers is one of the greatest things we can do. The Bible says that in the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of the living God. There is, a, there, is a, there is a conflict in the family maybe or in the church maybe in the conflict. Why can't we reconcile them? You know, these are the ways that we can think about how we can provoke one another to love 
and good works. I want to remind you, brothers and sisters, Christian gatherings are not gossip centers. They are not entertainment clubs. They are encouraging communities. And we should all aim at becoming such communities of God. You know, there is something that I want to tell you in, in further applications of this. Now, why is it that so many people today are not encouraging? How many people do you think are very encouraging when you spend time with them? Honestly speaking, you know very well, right? You have spent time with some brothers and sisters in the church. How is it that you find them very encouraging to you? You know why? Now, this is very important here. Now, hear carefully. Before the author speaks about drawing closer to one another, meeting together, encouraging one another, he speaks in verse 22, let us draw near to God. I see that some people in the church have no relationship with God, have no intimacy with God, but they only think about meeting together and enjoying fun and fellowship of the church. And I say that that's very dangerous. Your encouragement to one another only flows when you have a healthy relationship with God and your soul is encouraged from God and when you meet together, you have something to give to one another. But if your soul is impoverished, if you don't have that fellowship with God, if you are not encouraged by the word of God, we have nothing to give to one another when we come together. We are empty drums making noises with no provocation to love and good works. And I want to encourage you that if you want to live a serious Christian life, if you want to persevere in your faith, my dear brothers and sisters, I want to encourage you, surround yourself with godly Christian fellowship. Now I tell some people over here who are in the workplace, and I tell to some young people over here who are doing your studies, but you have no good Christian friends in the church with whom you fellowship and receive encouragement. And I tell you, it is very dangerous for your soul when you are surrounded with ungodly fellowship, with no Christian fellowship and no active engagement in the body of Christ. The devil will use those unbelievers as a bait to draw you away from your love for the Lord. And you should be very careful about that. Now, when the Bible says over here, it doesn't say that we should come together as a church. Do not neglect meeting together so that you can hear the sermon from a pastor. Is that what the word of God says here? Sermon is very good. We must be devoted to apostolic teaching as Acts 2.42 says. But sermon is not the entirety. Pastor is not the sole encourager in the church. Preachers are not the only encouragers in the church. I love what Spurgeon says here. Hear this carefully. It is not the work of the minister alone to exhort, but the brothers and the sisters too should exhort one another and seek to stir each other up in the faith and fear of God. How many brothers and sisters here? Just examine yourself. How many of you encourage one another? Just think about yourself. How many of you, when you come together, provoke each other? 
Or do you always on the receiving side and never on the giving side? The Bible tells that we have to practice this one another ministry in the body of Christ. And I want to give you another encouragement also. Be open to receive encouragement from your fellow brothers and sisters in the body of Christ. Are you understanding? Don't think that who made you a pastor to encourage me. The Bible doesn't say that only pastors should encourage others. There are some people who receive encouragement only when the pastor speaks. When the pastor prays, they are satisfied. When the pastor encourages, their souls are comforted. But when a believer does it, when a believer prays, when a believer encourages, they just take it easy. No, that's arrogance, people. That's arrogance. That's not humility. The Bible gives the authority to every member in the body of Christ to practice one another encouragement and we need to be humble to receive encouragement and exhortation from one another. Don't be a legalistic Christian who just attend the church because they have to attend the church. Don't be a religious Christian who just participate in the activities. Be a spiritual Christian by coming together so that you can practice mutual fellowship and encouragement. Now, here is a testing point that I want to tell you. What is the test that our Christian fellowship and gathering are biblical? What is the test? What is the test and evidence that our Christian meetings, Christian fellowship, Christian gathering are biblical. What is the test? We become more loving and devote ourselves to more good works. If you are not becoming more loving people, if you are not becoming more good works, we are living a religious life. We are living a legalistic life. And I tell you, brothers and sisters, flee from that. Which brings me to my final point here. Engage, encourage, and it says here, even more. Let's read once again Hebrews 10, 24 to 25, as we dwell on the last factor. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and observe the last phrase, shall we all read loudly, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Now, what is the meaning of all the more? And all the more means meet more often and encourage one another more. Because when the Bible speaks about meeting, it is for a purpose of encouragement. And for encouragement to happen, meeting is important. There is no encouragement without meeting. And when the Bible says more and all the more, as believers in the body of Christ, as people living in the last days, the Bible tells you that we need to meet more often, not just on Sundays. And we need to practice this mutual fellowship and encouragement. Now here is something that I want to tell you, brothers and sisters. Listen carefully. The scripture, I believe that it is very important, but hear carefully still. The scripture doesn't explicitly say to spend more time in the workplace. 
which people unreservedly do that. And it is good to spend more time in the workplace because they need to work hard. But nowhere the scripture says spend more time in the workplace or, more, or spend more time with your family. Nowhere the scripture explicitly say that. It is important to spend time together as a family. Don't misunderstand me. It is important that we work more in the workplace. But the scripture explicitly says that we must spend more time together as a church to encourage one another. Why I say this? Because there are some people who are so devoted to the workplace and to the family, but not to the church. When the Bible speaks about do this all the more, Spend time together more, meet more, and encourage one another more if you want to be vibrant in your Christian life. And I've seen that clearly in my Christian life. The brothers and sisters who meet more and encourage one another more are more vibrant in their Christian faith than those who do not do so. And this is my observation and experience in my more than 25 years of Christian life. I love what Martin Luther, this great reformer, says. He says that at home, in my own house, there is no warmth or vigor in me. But in the church, when the multitude is gathered together, a fire is kindled in my heart and it breaks its way through. There is power in Christian fellowship when it is biblical. Families are regenerated. Workers are revived. Christian life becomes vibrant. When there is meaningful Christian fellowship. Now here is a caution that I would like to give you here. Here is a caution that I want to give you. Beware of grumbling when the church meets more to obey this God's exhortation. Beware of grumbling when church meets more. When the Bible tells do this all the more, meet more, and encourage more. Some Christians say there are more. We are doing too much, actually. What are you talking too much? Beware of grumbling. When you spend more time with your family, don't, you don't grumble, right? When you spend more time in the workplace, you don't grumble. When it comes to that, word of God says, spend more time and encourage more people. Grumble. Do you know how the early church was gathering? Daily, exactly. You know, ex this is what Hebrews chapter 3 verse 13 says. But encourage one another every day. Now let me read this once again. Take care, brothers. Let there be any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day as long as it is called today that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Every day, the phrase here in Hebrews 3.13, David Allen, this uh, exegetical commentator, he says that this every day that we see in 3.13 and also not neglecting to meet together and do this all the more in 10.25, he says that indicates that the readers met together daily. They met together daily. Didn't they have families? Of course. Didn't they work? Yes. But they also met every day because of which they might have been very strong in their Christian faiths. I'm not telling that we need to meet 
every day. It is good if you meet, but Sunday is not enough. We need to take efforts to meet as often as possible, maybe as a Bible study or hospitality or whatever way possible. But brothers and sisters, let us take this exhortation seriously. And when I think about this exhortation, I think even about the devil's scheme. And you know what is the devil's scheme against this verse? Is to make Christians so busy in their everyday life but they, that they don't practice this. And that is what is happening today. Everyone is so busy today. There is no time to practice Hebrews 10, 24 to 25 because of which there is so much of shallowness. Now, here is another important thing that I want to tell you. I'm a person who thinks a lot when I prepare my sermon. I stretch my brain beyond limits to think about what applications can we consider. Now, hear this carefully. This is one great reason. When the Bible tells that, meet more often and encourage more often, I say that this is one great reason why you should be geographically close to the church so that you can meet more for mutual fellowship and encouragement. You cannot practice this meaningfully without being geographically close to the church. And if there is any church that is close to your house, biblically, go there so that you can be a biblical member. You know, for the first time, I met Shankar last week three times. For the first time, three times. You know why? Because he shifted to Pragati Nagar. <laughs> I told her, hey, Shankar, come. We went for dinner, had a good time together. And, and we went three times just because of geographical proximity. And if he was there in Sangharadi and tell him, hey, Shankar, let's meet for dinner today. You would have said, Anna, it's too long, it's very difficult, I'm tired and all, so much of traffic. But if you take the word of God seriously, it is very important, dear brothers and sisters. I'm not telling that if people stay close geographically, there is a guarantee that they will be practicing this. There is no guarantee because people still disobey, even if they stay geographical proximate. But there is a high possibility to practice this if we stay close near to one another. And why we should do this? The author of Hebrews ends with this phrase. And you know why? As you see the day drawing near. You know why people are not practicing this? Because they are not living in light of the Lord's imminent return. They are absorbed in their job. Absorbed in their family, absorbed in all other affairs, but not so absorbed about the Lord's imminent return. And this is what the author of Hebrews says that the Lord's time of return is any time. Now, when the Bible says that imminent return means any time, any time it may come. And the Bible tells that our hope is near to fulfillment. Our salvation is near. We all have to stand before the judgment seat of God. Time is less. Life is short. So what should we do? Meet more often. Encourage more often to love and good works as you see the day drawing near. The author says this. When he says that as you see the day drawing near, he speaks about a sense of urgency here. There is an urgency for us to practice this. In these last days, as the day is drawing near, there is a great sense of urgency for us to practice mutual fellowship and encouragement. Are we willing to obey this word? Are we willing to take this word 
seriously. If you are neglecting to meet together, I encourage you, brothers, please don't do that. For the sake of your own soul, for the sake of the members in the body of Christ. If you are merely attending legalistically, religiously, without investing your life in the church, ask God from today, Lord, I don't want to waste my presence. I want to be an encouraging brother, encouraging sister. Even if you are a new born-again believer, you can still be a person of encouragement. And don't be sufficient by just coming on Sunday. Meet as often as possible as families. Meet so that we can practice mutual fellowship and encouragement. In summary, shall we all stand together and read Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 to 25. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 to 25. Shall we read this together? And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Do you remember the church covenant too, when we confess it? What is that? We will not neglect meeting together as a church for the purpose of hearing and obeying God's word, singing songs, breaking bread, praying together, fellowshipping and encouraging one another in the Lord. And let us not merely confess it, people. Let us practice it. At this time, shall we all close our eyes and ask God, if you are not devoted to the church fellowship, but before that, let us ask ourselves, am I drawing near to God? If not, brothers and sisters, just take time to pray. Don't think about anything. Don't be distracted. Ask God, Lord, draw me near to your heart. And if you're neglecting church meetings, having a lenient attitude, may I ask you to repent of your sin of negligence. And ask God, Lord, please to give me thy grace not to neglect the gatherings of the church. And if you are not an encouraging person in the church, just merely attending the services, but not practicing mutual encouragement, ask God, Lord, make me a person of encouragement. Help me to take more time for Christian fellowship and meetings, for mutual fellowship and encouragement as I see the day is drawing near. Yes, Lord, your coming is near. You said, behold, I am coming. The day of judgment is near. The day of the Lord is near. We don't know when, but we know it is any time. And if we really live in light of your imminent return, Lord Jesus, give us the grace to meet more often and encourage one another to love and good works. Lord, you forgive us for our carnal Christian fellowships, which are mere social gatherings and clubs with no provocation to one another for love and good works. Lord, you're pleased to make our church an encouraging community. Make the brothers and sisters in the church 
encouraging people of God. Whenever we meet together, oh Lord, help us to consider, be conscious, not be blinded, not be led by our natural inclinations, but be conscious of how we may uphold each other and provoke each other and stir up one another to love and good works. Lord, help us to become more loving in our lives. Help us to become more people of good works. Help us, O Lord, to make a difference in our lives. Help us not to be passive. Help us not to be legalistic. Help us not to be religious. Help us to take our Christian faith seriously and surround ourselves with godly Christian fellowship and persevere in our faith till the end. Lord, we thank you for your word which exhorts us for our own good, O Lord. When you speak, meet together. Do not neglect meeting together. It is for our own good. When you tell us to encourage one another, you tell us for our own good. And we ask you, Heavenly Father, that you help us to obey your word for your glory and for the good of, your, of our soul and for the edification of our church. Lord, help us not to be mere listeners and forget and leave behind what we have learned, but treasure your word in our hearts and be devoted to follow your word and glorify your name. In the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, we offer this prayer with thanksgiving. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to the message. We believe you have been greatly encouraged in your heart. Stephen David also writes articles that are relevant to today's generation. You may read them on his blog www.messageforourage.blogspot.com I repeat www.messageforourage.blogspot.com you may also email him at cstephendavid at gmail.com. I repeat, c-s-t-e-p-h-e-n-d-a-v-i-d at g-m-a-i-l dot c-o-m. Grace and peace be to you.